And welcome back to the JKR podcast. Today we have artillery pitcher and infielder and 2026 Northwestern commit Ryan Kastetter on the JKR podcast for the Indiana Baseball Series presented by PBR Indiana. Ryan, super pumped to get you on the show. You're the second university guy I've had on here these these past two weeks, man. So, you know, pumped to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. Of- and I'm extremely pumped to discuss me what i do and what i look for in the future here on this podcast of course awesome man i'm ex- I'm excited to see that you're excited and again you know thanks for coming on the show too so um no first problem. question before we dig into artillery before we dig into university high school going to northwestern and stuff like that i got one question i like to ask everybody that gets on the J Care podcast and that is for those who don't know you how would you introduce yourself who exactly is ryan castetter all right so I'm Ryan Kastetter. I'm a freshman at University High School, and I'm a primary infielder, second, third baseman, along with right-handed pitcher. And in the summer, I play for Artillery Scout. And like I said, I go to University High School, and that's pretty much me. Okay. All right. So let's go ahead. Let's dig into Artillery first. Obviously, anyone who follows the JKR podcast sees that me and Ajay do quite a bit of work together. I've had a, a couple artillery series, got a lot of his players on. Um, so just kind of take us through, you know, how you got connected with Ajay, how you got connected with artillery, and just take us through, you know, what you're looking forward to, to for this summer. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. One of my visits when I was up visiting Northwestern, I actually ran into Ajay. And it was super funny because he obviously knew who I was because this past summer in World Series, my ZT team played against him and he was like, Oh, we played against you in summer. I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. You're the owner of artillery. And we basically exchanged contacts with each other. And we kind of talked almost every day from there and we really bonded together. And then he was like, Hey, how do you feel if you came out and played with us this summer? And I talked it over with my parents, continued talking with him. And I knew some of the players on the team and I felt that it was the right fit. So I joined artillery for the summer. Okay. So you mentioned ZT Elite there as well. Take us through, you know, what that experience was like playing for them. You know, how long was that experience? Just, you know, take us through ZT Elite. Yeah. So this past summer, I played on ZT Elite where our coach was from Missouri. However, the players were from everywhere. It's a little different than most teams where we didn't practice and we didn't have like a set roster every single weekend. It was constantly changing throughout the season. But honestly, I feel like that was really nice to have because I met so many new kids that I wouldn't have met if I just played on a set team. And it also forced me to really become a leader and communicate really well with everyone as we had such little time together and we had to play baseball against some of the top teams in the nation. But yeah, our ZT team, we traveled to pretty much all the big tournaments in Georgia, Alabama, and Florida, and we just did our best out there and competed as much as we could. Okay, so what were some of those relationships you were able to build? You mentioned that there's a bunch of players coming in and out. Every weekend's going to be a different roster. What were some of those relationships you built with different players across the Midwest, across the country, and some relationships you built with different coaches as well? Yeah, so our head coach, Coach Bobinette, he's from Missouri, and he, he was always the head coach. That never changed. And me and him really had a strong bond together. And he was also he also incorporated God into some of 
like his baseball teachings. And that I feel like that really helped me grow closer with him along with God. But some of the people that I met along the way, just to name a few, I played with Ethan Bass, who's from Illinois. He's also committed to Illinois. And he I, I, I love that kid. He's amazing. And he's an amazing player. Me and him met. We played together one weekend. And he came back a few weeks after that. And ever since then, we've been talking on Snapchat, messages, FaceTiming every once in a while, playing video games and stuff. It's been awesome. And then there's other people that I've met from like Alabama or Georgia to just to name a few states that we'll do the same thing. We'll hop on like Xbox or PlayStation every once in a while and play a few games together. And I wouldn't have had that opportunity if I didn't play on a team where the roster was constantly changing and if it was just constantly set. Yeah. So with that ZT roster, from the from the sounds of it, sounds like it's very similar to what IJ has going on there with artillery, with you know, a couple of different players coming in and out every weekend. You know, when you meet IJ there at that Northwestern visit, how long does it take you to decide, okay, you know, I think artillery, you know, I think that's where I should play travel baseball for this summer. And then were there maybe some other teams in the mix as well? Kind of take us through that decision making process. Yeah. So when I met IJ. I already knew who he was at the, at the beginning, but I didn't really know him personally. So it took me probably a good week or two of talking with him to like really find out how he was personally and how I connected with him and how we shared similar interests. But I feel like once I figured that out, it was more so me researching the players on the team and how I'd fit in and what my role would be because artillery is a very, very good organization and the team is extremely stacked and I want to put myself in the best position to where I'm being pushed by great players, great people to where I can keep getting better and better. And I was looking at a few other teams such as like wow factor to name one or ZT other teams like that. But it was really the players and the community at Artillery that really drew me in because I knew that if I went on that roster that I'd be in the best position to grow and develop and that would ultimately help me get to my goals at Northwestern. Okay. So with the artillery roster, you know, every year, you know, whether that's the 24s this year, the 25s, I mean, they're the number one team in the country, 26s, 27s, bunch of power five commits across all of those rosters. You going through each weekend, having all these different power five teammates, what are you just looking forward to most of playing with all those other power five teammates, kind of maybe picking the brain of some of your teammates as well, maybe some guys that you'll be playing against in the Big Ten here in a couple of years. Just what are you looking forward to most of, you know, that part of playing for artillery this summer? Yeah, like you mentioned, picking their brain is something that's extremely important. You know, you can never have too much knowledge. Knowledge is almost everything when it comes to the game of baseball as it's extremely mental. So I really look forward to building relationships with them and how they go about the game and comparing that with how I go about my game. And I think that it's going to be extremely fun summer because when you play with kids that have similar passions as you and want to go to that next level, especially in the power five, I feel like that will push me and I'll be able to push them and we'll be able to reach our goals together. And then if we do happen to play against each other in the Big Ten or other conferences like that, I feel like it will just be a moment where we can look back on our past and be like, 
I remember when we used to hang out every weekend and we used to play baseball every day together in the summer. Um, so if you'd be in midway through this spring right now, I mean, travel baseball is not too far away from the uh, too far away around the corner. Have you have you guys gotten your schedule for what this summer is going to look like? You know, what are you looking forward to most for this summer? What road trips you take in? What's the plan for, you know, summer of 2023? Yeah, I, I have had the schedule and I've actually looked at it quite thoroughly. So I know we're for sure going to be going to the WWBA, which is just a staple event. There's like hundreds of teams in that and everyone's doing their best to win it, which of course we're going to do our best to win it. And I know we're also going to the PG World Series down in Sanford, Orlando, um, as well as the USA Baseball Classic in Cary. So we're going to be playing mostly in that Alabama, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina region. And similarly to last year, going on those road trips allows for me and my family to bond together because some of those car rides are like 10, 12 hours. And yeah, sometimes we might get in fights, but normally at the end of it, we'll come out bonded more together and you'll get to meet so many more people, which is the great thing. Yeah, I'm sure. So you talk about those road trips with your family. Obviously, your travel base, your high school travel baseball careers just getting started with this summer. Still have three summers left. But if you had to look at just your past experiences, maybe going on those road trips, maybe doing something with some teammates, what would be some of those favorite memories that come to mind when you think of travel baseball? Okay. Well, there's a lot of memories I've had playing travel baseball and especially like playing not where I'm from because I'm from Indiana and playing down in the South. It's a whole different experience. You get to see a lot of the world that you wouldn't see in your everyday life. But if I had to say uh, my favorite experience, there's one experience that I had in, in Tennessee last summer where me and my friends were out playing and there was this giant mountain kind of like behind our hotel and we all were like, we were all bored and we didn't know what to do. And one of our friends was like, let's go climb the mountain. So me and like four other teammates, one night after we had our games, decided to go and climb this giant mountain. And we were all just messing around with each other, grabbing sticks and like hanging on branches and stuff like that. It was, it was super fun. You know, those are the times that you look forward to. It is all about baseball, but at the same time, you have to have fun and go and do other stuff and take your mind off baseball. So that was definitely a moment that I won't forget. Yeah, I'm sure. So for most kids from the state of Indiana who are, you know, playing for the Bulls, playing for the Midwest Canes, five-star prospects, stuff like that, they're generally playing at Grand Park there occasionally throughout the summer. For you playing for ZT Elite, now playing for Artillery, like have you played at Grand Park very often? Or, you know, what's your experience there considering, you know, University is probably not what maybe a five minute drive to Grand Park. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was younger, I played a lot at Grand Park. I used to be on the prospects actually. So almost every weekend we played at Grand Park. And Grand Park, it's it's extremely nice. There's like I think there's like 30 fields there, maybe. And they're all super nice. They're all turf, everything like that. You couldn't have asked for better facility. But the only thing at Grand Park is with me living so close to it, you don't have those times with your team that you really get to bond as you would if you play somewhere and go like out of town because 
every night you and your teammates and all the parents will meet together at the hotel. You'll swim, you'll do a bunch of fun stuff. But when you play at Grand Park, you just kind of show up for the game. Maybe you go out to eat afterwards and then you kind of go home. But when you play out of your, like where you're from, I guess, you really have much more bonding experience. And also some of the teams that you play, most of the teams that are at Grand Park are from the Midwest, or maybe they venture a little bit from the East Coast or something like that. But when you go to those big cities like Orlando or Atlanta, and you you play competition from everywhere. And that might even be out of the country. I've played teams that are from Puerto Rico or the Dominican or other teams like that, which is a really unique experience that's something you wouldn't find at Grand Park. With the majority of your university teammates, a lot of those guys, you know, like Jake, like some of those, like Beckett, Sue, a lot of those guys are also playing for the Indiana Mustangs. Both those teams kind of come out of round tripper. With you going to university, how often are you at round tripper? Are you there just as much as, you know, the act, the actual Indiana Mustangs team? How often are you there training with, you know, the must the, with the round tripper staff actually there at round tripper just down the road? You know, how, how does that kind of play hand in hand? Yeah. So, Basically, every day after school, we have practice at Round Tripper. University does. So we'll have our upperclassmen will take us underclassmen over there. And I'd say I'll spend after school probably a good three, maybe four hours of a Round Tripper. Probably about two of those might be team practice. And then the other hour or two will be hitting, fielding, pitching, whatever I feel like I need to work on that day. And I'm there basically every day of the week and for a good amount of the day and the coaches up there like you mentioned the round tripper staff having estep reed coach shirley Vern, all of those guys working at round tripper they're also integrated into my high school so i feel like i'm really connected into that facility and i'd say that i might even be there more than some of the kids that play on the mustangs in the summer <laughs> okay. All right. So let's with us talking about, you know, university playing for some, you know, E-Step, Reed, some of those other guys. Let's go ahead and dig into your freshman year. You know, take us through what this experience has been, maybe some surprises that hit you as well. Just what's this freshman year at university been like for you? It's been amazing. You know, not many freshmen get the opportunity to play varsity, which I was lucky enough to have attending university. But at the same time, University doesn't play only two-way schools, which is what we are. ESTEP works extremely hard, and Reed. They both work extremely hard to give us the best schedule possible. So we've played schools as big as Brownsburg. We're going to play in the next few weeks. We're going to be playing Franklin uh, Community and Max Clark. We're going to be playing all those big schools that you wouldn't get if you went to a two-way school where the coaches didn't really push for you to get those big schools. So even though we are a small school, I'm extremely glad that we're allowed to play those big schools because it pushes you and the rest of the team to a level that you guys aren't technically supposed to be at. And I really like that. But the freshman season, it's been going it's been going really well. At the beginning, I was struggling a little bit with kind of trying to be perfect and impress everyone being the new guy and thinking like I have to do this and this to get out on the field or like make people think that I'm good. But I started to realize that I just need to go out there and have fun, do my best because at the end of the day, that's all I can do. And Estep and Reed both know that 
I'm a good player. And as long as I do my best, it's pretty much all I can do. Yeah. So you talk about that tough schedule that E-Step and Reed put together for each spring. I'm sure when it comes to, you know, maybe facing some of those toughest teams, I'm sure they're putting Hooker up of, up there on that mound considering he's a senior draft prospect going to Xavier as well. But, you know, for you, kind of explain what this Indiana baseball competition has been like, maybe how that compares to, you know, the travel baseball seasons you've had in the past. What does this northern Indianapolis baseball competition kind of look like for you? Yeah. So honestly, I think a lot of people overlook Indiana baseball. I think a lot of people think of Midwest baseball and think, oh, well, it's it's not as good as the South or and stuff like that, which sometimes I think can be true. But at the same time, I think it's completely wrong. You know, we've we've played teams like Brownsburg Cathedral where Hooker's been on the mound and pitching and they'll have a guy as equal to Hooker. He'll be equal in velocity everything equal to hooker and it's been really tough facing those guys but at the same time it's made me grow not only mentally but physically too because I have to push myself up to their level because Jake is and a lot of the seniors that I play against are three or four years older than me and a lot more developed which means that I just have to up my game even more to go to their level which is like I think it's very helpful to me and it will help me grow tremendously. I'm sure. So with all those different teams that you guys are playing, like I said, I believe Hooker is like your guys' conference guy or whatever. I know I was talking to Reed about it a couple of weeks ago, but for mm-hmm. all the guys that you have faced, and this can be this is gonna be a two-parter question. So for you on the mound, for you in the batter's box, who is the toughest hitter in Indiana that you have faced? Who is the toughest pitcher in Indiana that you have faced? And if you can't find one, because I know some guys struggle to find maybe just one guy to point out, you can pick, you know, two to three as well. Maybe give a couple guys some love. But who are right. some of those toughest guys? Yeah, so I'll start with hitting. So this offseason, we do the like live at bats against each other. And I did face Jake one time. And I will say that he is probably the most talented pitcher that I've ever faced because he can come at you with mid nineties fastball and then he'll throw his slider. And it's, it's just so much of a difference. It's super hard to adjust to. And he he is extremely hard to hit. So I'd say Jake is probably the toughest guy I've faced hitting, but I've, I've also faced other really good pitchers. We faced a pitcher against cathedral this past week that just had a, a lot of movement, which can also be hard as a hitter, but I'd say if I really had to choose one singular person, Jake is definitely the hardest pitcher I've ever had to face. But when I'm pitching, oof, that's tough. Let me think about it. Um, that's hard. I've I've faced a lot of a lot of good hitters, I say, but not really to name anyone specific. I'd say it's just the people that are more experienced tend to hit me better because they're seniors. They're used to seeing like an, a mid 80 fastball versus freshmen. They're not really used to seeing that. So I don't know. I've, I've, I've pitched okay, against tough, Jake. Okay. And- maybe not, maybe not single point, a single person tough. Maybe who's the toughest lineup that you face so far this year. Oof. Okay. So, the toughest lineup that I've pitched against, 
was probably Lewis Cass because I've I've only start actually no I take that back it's not the toughest lineup that I've pitched against has been Brownsburg okay I okay. came in I came in relief after Jake against Brownsburg and I mean it's a giant school from top to bottom of their lineup they're good and especially at the top those kids can really hit the fastball and it was it was really challenging for me because I really had to rely on my off speed and not so much trying to blow by people. So that was that was probably the toughest lineup that I've faced. Okay. But so- if I had to choose one person, we do face Max Clark in a few weeks. And you never know. I might get on the bump, I might not get on the bump. But if I did face Max Clark, he would probably be the toughest hitter that I've had to face ever. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, if there's a guy, you know. About to be drafting the top four picks. I mean, I'm sure yeah. that guy's got to be one of the toughest guys that you face in your career. Um, mm-hmm. But you talk about how, you know, you come into relief for Jake. For you being a younger guy, is that for the most part how it's been going for you this year? Like, are you, you know, coming in for relief for some of the guys? Are you starting maybe a couple games? Has there been an adjustment there? Yeah. So at the beginning of the season, I pitched down in Memphis. We had a tournament in Memphis. I pitched down there. And actually, I got hit decent down there. Like, they hit me pretty hard, actually. Um, it was a school from Kansas, I think. I think they were, like, 5A or something like that. They were massive. But they hit me pretty hard. And then that when we got back and started our season here in Indiana, the first week or two, I found myself coming in relief after Jake, which was an adjustment because I'd primarily been a starter for most of my career. But – Coming in after Jake, it gives you the sense that you don't have to overpower people because that's what Jake does. He throws by them. So it made me rely more on my off-speed stuff and location. And then now, coming to now, I've started to start more games. I think I've started two games now, and I've came in relief a few times, like two or three times maybe. But when you go starting, it's I feel like it's a little bit easier for me as it allows for me to get into my groove. And once I get in my groove, I pretty much just go from there. And that bulldog mentality is definitely what drives me on the mound to okay. like be the best that I can be. Okay. So for you, what is that mindset difference between, let's say, you know, you got to start on the bump besides, okay, hey, Chris, maybe Chris pulls you aside. Hey, you're going to be coming in relief today. What is that mindset difference be- between, you know, being a starter and being a reliever? Yeah. So being in relief is a little different than starting because when you start, you set the tone for the game. If you go out there and you completely shut down the other team, you're going to get your team fired up. But at the same time, if you go out there and say you walk a person or two and maybe give a few hits around a run or two, your team might not be as high uh, morale as they would be if you would have just shut them down completely. So when you start, I feel like it's more so to get your team on the right foot and really push them to get their bats going rather than when I come in relief, it's more so that I need to keep this lead the same or minimize the damage as much as possible because mid game, your teams already get like your, your bats are already going and stuff like that. So it's not so much that we need to get on a good start. It's that we need to hold it and we need to finish strong. Okay. 
So we've talked about Jake here a couple of times here so far on the podcast with Jake being a senior, being a draft prospect, being a guy who's also going to play D1 baseball. Before we started recording, you also mentioned Seth Hogg going to Marion. For those two guys being upperclassmen, how have those two maybe, you know, taking you underneath their wing, kind of showed you the ropes of playing for high var- – high-class varsity high school baseball here in the state with university, you know, continuously being one of the top-ranked teams in the state. How have they kind of, you know, maybe taken taking you underneath their wing? Yeah, so at the beginning of the year, I kind of came into university blind. I didn't really know anyone other than Estep and Reed. I knew them a little bit, but I didn't really know anyone at all. But Jake messaged me on Instagram, actually, and was like, hey, I heard you're coming to university. If you ever need anything, let me know. And that first day at school, I talked to him a little bit and he started taking me up to round tripper because our fields and like where we practice isn't connected to our school. So we have to have someone drive us up there. So every day after school, Jake would drive me up there and we'd work, we work out as a team and we do everything together. So me and Jake really bonded in those car rides going up to university. And we talked about like, how what he does to become so good and stuff like that and then Seth came Seth played basketball during winter so I didn't really have much of a connection with him but then when spring started to come around and after basketball season he became integrated into the community more and I found myself hanging out with Jake Seth Mark and all those upperclassmen that I knew was going to push me to be the best that I could be and yeah, both Jake and Seth, they've they've pushed me tremendously. They're great leaders on our team. I couldn't have asked for any better seniors. But yeah, and also when we lift, having Jake and Seth there and knowing that they're going to lift way more than me and that they're going to do everything better than me, I guess, it it's really pushed me to become them when I'm older. And like when I watch Jake, when I watch Jake do everything that he does, his drills, his throwing, hitting, everything, it's made me realize how important it is to him and how much I need to focus to get to that next level. It's really shown me what it takes. Yeah. So going from upperclassmen like Jake, like Seth, let's move it down to some underclassmen. I know Beckett Sue, he's another underclass guy who he might not be committed to a power five yet, but I've heard some great things about him. What's your guys' relationship there being two, you know, probably the two future aces of that university high school baseball program. What's your guys' relationship looking like? Yeah. So when we were younger, me and Beckett actually played on the same travel team. We played on the Zionsville like ZBC team and then we switched over to Indiana Prospects and played together for a while so we we already had a great relationship together and then once we came to high school at the same team uh we I wouldn't say we were competing for a position but at the same time we were we were really pushing each other to become the best that we could be and I feel like our relationship has really strengthened over time and not only are we really good friends and really good teammates to each other, but we're willing to push the other person to their max. Yeah. And this offseason, we really saw that in the weight room. We were always competing. Who was gonna who was gonna do this better? Who was gonna do this better? Pitching wise, we were in the same program. We were in the same program that also had Jake in it too. That's ace pitching up at Round Tripper. And we were we were always competing. Who is gonna pull down the most? Who is gonna throw the hardest? everything we, we were just competing about everything but in a in a good way not not bad 
yeah. we're great friends. Great. We have same classes together, always hang out. We really push each other to be our best. And I'm really thankful for Beckett. Okay. So, you know, as you're halfway through your freshman year so far, got a couple of weeks before sectionals, you know, what are some of those expectations of your freshman baseball spring, you know, just, you know, going through the rest of rest, going through the rest of this year? Yeah. So honestly, I expect that we're just going to go out there and we're going to keep improving every game at the beginning of the season. We started out with like four or five errors each game. And that was just killing us because you, you can't really, it's hard to win a baseball game when you have so many errors, but every game we've continued to improve and improve. And we're to the point now where it's, it's becoming extremely hard to improve, but I feel like we can do it. And I feel like as long as we continue to bond together and we continue to be aggressive and play every game for Jake and Seth, as this is their last season, I think if we continue to bond together that we're going to make a run for it. And I think that we really do have a chance to win state. So going through your freshman year, being one of those younger guys on that team, what do you think is tougher when you're playing travel baseball, playing guys of that same age group, or when you're a freshman playing varsity baseball, facing guys who, you know, 17, 18 years old, guys going to college that next year, you know, what is that, what is that mindset difference? How does that compare? And, you know, just what, what's tougher high school baseball, travel baseball. Yeah. So they're extremely hard to compare and that might sound weird, but I'll explain. So high school baseball, like you said, I'm playing against kids that some might be my age, some might be three or four years older than me. But at the same time, in high school baseball, you might have four or five games in a week, and they're spread out throughout the week. Versus in travel ball, you might have four or five games, but they are they might be in the span of a weekend, three days, four days, something like that. It's a little different. But the biggest challenge that I've seen in high school baseball compared to travel baseball is there's a much wider variety of skill or like velocity, I guess, is some days you might be facing a kid that's throwing upper 80s. And then the next day you turn around, and you're facing a kid that's throwing lower 70s or mid 70s, something like that. And that adjustments, it's, it's hard to make as a hitter versus in travel ball. I feel like I more consistently will see mid 80s and I don't really feel like I have to adjust as much. And also playing high school, you play on different fields every day. You're never playing at the same like park, but in travel, you're always playing at the same park. So they're kind of different stories, but both of them are challenging and unique in their own ways. Okay. So I see you wearing that. I see you repping that Northwestern shirt. Let's go ahead. Let's dig into that recruiting process. Take us through, obviously with you being a freshman, I'm sure the recruiting process didn't start, you know, too long ago, but take us through, you know, how that recruiting process got started and when was it that you started getting noticed by some of those D1 teams? So I'd say um, I started getting noticed from D1 teams, probably my eighth grade summer, because that's when I made the change from local baseball to playing more nationally and going down south and playing against teams that are coming from everywhere where college coaches were really really hunting for players that's when I really started to get noticed and then this offseason I made tremendous jumps in my velo my exit velo my strength everything seemed to jump up like by a long shot compared to last season 
And that's truly when I got into some really deep conversations with college coaches and ultimately leading to me uh, going to Northwestern. So for you going through that recruiting process, as it was getting started there as an eighth grader, kind of take us through what those initial conversations were like with different college coaches. And for you, I mean, you're still four years away before you even touch a college campus. So, you know, what's going through your mind at that point as you start talking to some of these college coaches, realizing, shoot, like, you know, this is a true possibility of me playing Division One baseball. Yeah, it's extremely exciting to know that coaches want you at the next level and that they see potential in you. Not only does it give you confidence and make you excited, but it it really makes you think that your work is starting to pay off, although it's not over yet because, like you mentioned, you are four years away. And it does push you to be better. As you know, there's going to be people hunting you every step of the way. But most of my initial conversations that I had with college coaches were just getting to know them, them getting to know me, what I was looking for, a lot of that, it took it took a while for me to really find out what I was looking for in a college and coaches. But I feel like once I went to like once I went to Northwestern and really talked deeply with every coaches, it became more clear that that was where I wanted to go and that I, that was really where I fed in Will. Okay, so you talk about how it might have taken you a little bit to realize, you know, what exactly you wanted in a college as you were going through that. As you were going through that decision-making process, what were some of those key things that you were looking for, you know, within a school, within a coaching staff, you know, maybe some of those conversations you were having with coaches, what are some of those key things you were looking for? Yeah. So I was definitely looking for a academic fit as I'm a really good student and I really want to push myself to be the best academically that I could. So I was really looking for schools that would challenge me academically but more so, I was looking for schools where I really connected well with the coaches and that they had a good development program that would push me to become even better, that, uh, an even better player, and maybe even get me to the next level in becoming a pro baseball player. And when I talked to Northwestern originally, I already knew that it was going to be a great fit for me academically. But the coaches there, along with their development and indoor facilities, everything was just what I wanted. And like I mentioned, their coaching staff has 30 plus years of pro ball experience. And I feel like that was really going to prepare me for the next level and maybe even after college, which is what I was looking for. Okay. So you ended up committing and it wasn't too long ago. I believe it was probably, you know, less than a month ago or so for that, you know, you had to go through and kind of experience those new NCAA rules coming out and coaches kind of realizing, Oh, okay. Like I can't, I can't talk to the class of 2026 for, you know, year, year and a half or so when those new rules came out, did you see any difference within your recruiting process? What did that kind of look like? Yeah, I did. So like before the rule change came out, I feel as though coaches were a little more laid back and were really wanting to get to know you and not really doing anything too aggressive. But once that once that rule got announced, I feel that most college coaches were becoming more aggressive as they wanted to get people on their team um, like before that rule was taking place. But at the same time, they really wanted to get to know you because they can't talk to you or like me for another year, year and a half until I'm a junior. So 
they I feel like it the rule the new rule made them more aggressive, but at the same time, it made them become more selective of whom they were choosing because they didn't want to make a bad move and then have to wait a year and a year and a half later to realize that wasn't what they wanted. So I feel like at the same time it helped me, but at the same time I can't talk to and really make a real, real tight bonds with those coaches either. Yeah. So what was that mindset for you, you know, being a guy who's in the class of 2026, can't talk to maybe coaches for the next year, year and a half or so. What was that mindset? Was there any debate when it came to, okay, let's commit now compared to, you know, let's commit after that, after these new regulations go through, I can start talking to coaches again here in a year and a half. Was there any debate between committing versus non-committing? Of course there was. Me and my family talked it over I'd say every night for probably like a good week or two. And we we really went in depth about what could be good and what could be bad about committing early and not committing. But Northwestern had been one of my top schools since like day one. I knew that I wanted to play baseball at the next level. And I knew I really wanted to go to a good academic school such as Northwestern and maybe even play in the Big Ten like they do. So when I originally got offered by them, I was like, I want to do it now. I want to do it now. But my, my, my parents made me really sit down and think about all the decisions. But when I weighed out all my options and I grew a strong bond with coach Foster and coach Anderson there at Northwestern, I knew that they really valued me as a player and as a person. And I felt like I was really going to fit in well. And especially once I got onto campus and saw how the school operated, how practice was, how games were, and their facilities. I, I knew immediately that there's no need for me to wait because it's going to be the same answer in two years anyways. Yeah. So I feel like I might as well do it now. Okay. So, you know, as those coaches got more aggressive there towards you, your, those final days before you finally made that decision to go to Northwestern, do you remember when it kind of hit you? Okay. You know, I think Northwestern is going to be the place for me. It's got to be, you know, teams team b team c whatever you know do you kind of remember when it hits you okay i think northwestern is going to be the place for me i do it was if i remember correctly um i talked to coach foster every and coach anderson almost every day for about two weeks and and that was about that was after they offered me and it was about a fourth through that second week. It was probably about a Tuesday, I think, where I was laying in bed and I just realized I was I was just weighing all my decisions out. I was like, is this where I want to be when I get older? Like, do I want to be wearing purple and really representing Northwestern as a school? And I laid there that night for a good like hour, just looking up at my ceiling, just thinking of everything, almost like visualizing what it would be like going to school there. And I also talked to uh, Drew Dixon, who's at Northwestern right now. I was like, how do you like it? And once he told me that he really liked the school, the teachers, coaches, he liked everything about it. And I really sat down and was like, this is what I want to do. I I knew immediately. I went in and told my parents. I was like, mom, dad, I think this is what I want to do. I know I want to go to the next level. And I know that Northwestern is going to provide me with every opportunity to make me the best person that I can be both academically and athletically. 
Okay, so with you being a freshman in that class of 2026 and Northwestern not being able to add any other guys to that recruiting class for the next year and a half, do you have any sort of relationship with maybe some of your future teammates, whether that's class of 25, maybe there's some other guys in that 26 class in Northwestern as well? What are some of those relationships that you have with some of your future? Is it, is it the Northwestern Wildcats? Wildcats, yep. Wildcats. Yep. So you have any relationships with some of your future Wildcat teammates? You know, to be honest, I I don't. But I know for sure that I'm going to be attending camp uh, this summer. And there at camp, I'm really looking to strengthen relationships with other people that are looking into becoming a Wildcat and maybe even some that are going to become a Wildcat in the future. I feel like attending camp will really help me strengthen those relationships. But at the same time, um, I'm really trying to strengthen my relationship with Drew Dixon right now as he's there and he's really living the life right now. And I'm really just trying to pick his brain, everything he's learned, how he feels about it. Because I feel like if I get closer with someone that's already been there, by the time that I get to Northwestern, I'll feel like I've already done it in a way. And I'll feel confident about every move that I take. So I feel like me going to camp and maybe even playing this summer will allow for me to meet kids that are interested in going to Northwestern. And I can really strengthen my relationship with them. Yeah. So being a guy committed to Northwestern, you know, so so early in your high school career, still got three years left of travel baseball, three years left of high school baseball as well. Do you kind of see yourself maybe as a, a recruiter in a way? You're going to these camps here this summer. You can be, you know, maybe pushing Northwestern towards a couple of these guys, maybe some of your artillery teammates as well. Do you kind of see yourself as, you know, a Northwestern recruiter in a way these next couple of years? Totally. Of course I do. I'm always looking to be surrounded by the best kids possible. And that's something that I'm going to try to do now and I'm going to do in the future. So I think I definitely will definitely crack some jokes on my teammates about how they need to become a wildcat or something like that and see if you never know, it might work out, but it might not. So you can, all you can do is ask. If you never ask, you're never going to get the opportunity to have what you want, I guess. So of course, of course, you got to you got to no. you got to build that Northwestern twenty twenty six recruiting class so you guys can you know maybe win a Big Ten championship when you got when you're there. That's right. But no, so you talk about you know you really like the two coaches there, Coach Foster. I can't remember who you said the assistant coach was, but Coach Anderson. You talk about how you really like those guys. For you, kind of take us through what that relationships like for you with those two guys. And, you know, what you're, you know, um, looking forward to most for August 1st of your junior year and just continuously evolving that relationship with those two coaches. Yeah. So originally I started talking to Coach Anderson It actually started through Twitter. Uh, he DM me on Twitter and we talked a little. It was it was mostly like you should come to camp, kind of like that. And then I told Estep and Estep got on the phone right away calling him and really getting my name out there in front of him. And I'm pretty sure it was it was one day after practice, Eastip was like, hey, I want you to call Coach Anderson tonight. So I called him, and I, I just remember as immediately as I started talking to him, I was like, I love this guy. I, I love everything that he says, everything that he does, what he preaches. He's all about having being really strong mentally and not letting anyone break you mentally. And – I, I really liked that about him. And I continued to talk to him and build our relationship together for a few days until he introduced me to Coach Foster. And 
once I met Coach Foster, who's the head coach there, I I he was the same as Anderson. I immediately knew that he is one who I wanted to play for, and he was gonna push me to be the best person that I could be. And that's what I that's ultimately what I wanted. Yeah. So as you get to that next level, do you plan on staying a two-way guy, being a pitcher, being an infielder as well? Have you talked to Foster and Anderson about this? You know, what is the expectation? as you get to that next level here in a couple of years when it comes to your position? Yeah, I, so actually that was a part of my decision of also where I wanted to go is I wanted to continue my like two-way journey in a sense because I don't want to be labeled as a pitcher only. And I don't want to be labeled as a position player only because I like d- pitching and hitting and fielding all equally. So that was a big help to hear coach Foster and coach Anderson say that they wanted me to continue both, that they wanted to see me grow and develop into each and that they'd support me in doing both. That really helped me solidify my decision as well. But as of right now, I I'm pretty neutral and what I want to be, and that might change in the future, but I'm going to keep doing both for as long as I can until someone tells me that I can't because that's just what I want to do. I, I just don't want to be a pitcher right now. And I don't want to be a position player either. So doing both is a hundred percent what I want to do. Okay. So bringing up Jay cooker one more time. I'm not again, my last time bringing him up. So with him also being a two way guy going to Xavier, obviously if he gets drafted, you know, it might not be that way. He'd probably be a PO, but has he given you any advice when it comes to continuing your career as you get, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old, becoming a senior, still going two ways. Has he kind of given you any advice on that? He has. He, me and him, we've kind of sat down together and in those car rides, we've talked about this. We've talked about what he wants to be in the future and how he can continue to be a two-way and how I can continue to be a two-way. And some of the advice that he's gave me that's really stuck with me is that you have, you're going to have to be strong in both aspects. You're going to have to put in double the work as someone that's just going to be a pitcher or someone that's just going to be a hitter, because you have to stay sharp and at that next level in both aspects of those games, not just one, because a college coach is ultimately going to put whoever the best player is on the field. And if you're only good in one aspect and your other aspect is mediocre, they're going to choose you in that one aspect. So he really reminded me that I need to keep working extra hard in both aspects of the game and not to just focus purely on one or the other. Okay. And I feel like that's really helped me. Okay. So let's go ahead and separate this from pitching from hitting. Let's dig into hitting first. Kind of take us through your hitting approach. What's going through your mind as you're walking up to that batter's box? You know, what are you trying to do with each at bat? Yeah. So my approach actually starts before the game. And if it doesn't start before the game, it will 100% start in the dugout. A lot of times before games, if they do say who they're going to throw, I'll do a little bit of research. Is he's a righty? Is he a lefty? What's he throwing? What's his velo like? And from then, I might sit down that night before. I might take five or ten minutes just to visualize every at-bat that I'm going to have. I'll take five or ten minutes, maybe five at-bats of what might happen. And this will be a variety of outcomes. It will be the best outcome, what would be okay, I'd be happy with, what I wouldn't be happy with, and what would be the worst outcome. 
And I'll really sit there and visualize it. And I feel like this really helps me be prepared for the game before it even starts. And then once I get to the field and I'm in the dugout, I'm watching the pitcher, seeing what he's throwing the most, like where he's pitching it, where the catcher's setting up, what counts is he throwing what. I, I really like to study the game because that gives you an upper hand when you actually get in the box. Yeah. And then, like you said, when I'm on deck, it's most it's mostly picking up my timing and getting picking up my timing and getting release points along with self-talk and confidence and building up the courage and confidence that you're I'm like, even though I might not be the best player on the field, it's building up that mentality that I'm the best player here and I'm going to show that. And then, as you mentioned, when I walk up to the box, I like to breathe, keep my heart rate slow and really just build myself up with confidence. I'm going to I'm going to smack this ball. If he throws me something over the plate, I'm going to do everything in my power to put it right back out there. And then when I get in the box, it basically becomes less thinking about my mechanics and more so that I'm going to, I'm going to get my timing correct. I'm going to see this ball early and I'm going to focus ultra hard on it coming in. And then I'm just going to be confident and I'm going to do my best. Okay, so you talk about your mechanics there. Kind of take us through what those mechanics look like, you know, from your load up to your follow through, how those kind of evolved as well over time. Kind of take us through your hitting mechanics. And then a two-parter question this as well, since we are on the topic of mechanics, kind of take us through your pitching mechanics as well. Yeah, so I'll start with hitting mechanics. So last summer and a little bit before that, I was generally a like kind of a leg kick type of guy. But as I started to see pitchers that were throwing harder and harder, it became it became harder for me to leg kick. Not that not that people don't do it. There's tons of people that leg kick and are extremely good at it. It just wasn't the exact style for me. And when I got to university, Coach Estep really talked to me more about my timing and getting my foot down. So now I'm more of a I'll get I'll almost like Trey Turner now is I'll get my foot down and my hands back to basically, as the pitcher releases, I'm already ready to swing. So if he throws a fastball, I'm, I'm going immediately. If he throws a slider, then I can stay, stay back and go. But the big thing is I like to get my foot down and my, my hands back and into my scap. And then as I go, my back knee will drive my hips, which will then drive my hands. And then my wrists will f- like flick through the ball. And then to talk about my pitching mechanics, my pitching mechanics have changed a lot uh, over the past few years. But I like, I, I generally start with my front foot a little bit more closed than my back foot. So a little more in front of it. So if this was my, my front foot and this was my back foot, I'll start kind of like this. And then coming out of leg lift, I lift straight up, but then I really, I kind of turn my hips a little bit, angle them a little bit towards second base. And that's my hinge, as a lot of people say it. And then I hold that position for as long as possible. And I try and keep my heel pointed to home plate for as long as possible. And then as I'm about to, as I'm about at foot strike, my back knee will rotate down towards the ground as fast as possible. And then I basically follow through from there. But going more up to my upper body of pitching, keeping my head still has definitely been my biggest problem because I like to I like to like jerk my head like that. 
or like pull off and that can really affect your command. So the big thing for me is keeping my front side strong and really utilizing my legs, which a lot of pitchers don't realize is as much as you throw from your arm, your legs is what sets up your arm. You you don't want to be throwing with your upper body. That's that will ultimately lead to an injury. You want your arm to do as little work as possible. So the big thing that I focus on is my legs, how my legs are moving and let allow my body to be fluid enough for the energy to just come from my feet all the way up to my arm and just whip straight across. And what I feel like has helped me a lot with that would be mobility. I feel like mobility helps a lot. Okay. So with mobility, is that a part of that ACE pitching program? I know you said you, Beckett, Jake Hooker are a part of that ACE pitching program. I believe it is it Coach uh, Chrisman, I believe, is the guy who's yeah. in charge of that. Yeah. Take us through what the ACE pitching program kind of looks like, you know, just some of the benefits that you've kind of seen so far. What is that ACE pitching program like? So ACE pitching starts out with a mobility assessment seeing what you need to work on, how you move, how everything flows in your body. I guess, are you a stiff mover? Are you a, are you a relaxed mover? And it also kind of tests your strength and aspects as you have to have, if you have to be strong in certain parts of your body to be a, to be able to throw extremely hard. And what I've found out about me specifically is my ankles and my hips are tight. So Garrett, individually makes programs for every single person in ACE. And that program will have mobility, what you need to be doing right before you pitch, but it also have mobility at night. And it will also have soft tissue work to help you like get extra loose in those aspects. And then after it goes in mobility, it gives you an individualized plyo ball program along with throwing routine. And most of the plyo drills that you do are to help with your mechanic inefficiencies. So like, like I said, with me, like yanking off kind of, or like my front side, not being strong, I've had a lot of like posture drills and trunk drills to keep my trunk stability real extra high. Whereas other people might have drills to get their hips opening better or stuff like that. But Ace pitching, it's helped me a lot. I've gained, I think, 10 miles an hour since I've been on the program. And like I said, Garrett individually makes those programs for you and helps you grow in the aspects that you need to grow in. And that really helps. It really yeah. does. And, and I'm sure a part of that ACE program, pitching program, comes arm care as well. Kind of take us yeah. through what arm care looks like for you off season. So, you know, you're deloading in, you know, whatever, October, November, whenever that happens to be ramping back up in January, February, getting ready for the spring season. What does that arm care look like in the off season? And then as well in season as well, let's say, you know, you come in relief, you come in, you, you know, you're starting the game, you know, you can kind of take these both ways. Well, after the game, what does that look like the day after day after that leading up to your next outing? What does that in season arm care look like as well? Okay. So, Generally, when I deload in October, November, around fall, late fall, around that time, I like to take a good week or two off, not only for my body to recover, but also mentally, because the seasons are extremely long and draining mentally and physically. So I like to just give my whole body a break of throwing for a little bit. And then 
the big aspect for me in the off season is to just get stronger. It doesn't matter uh, what part of my body. I'm just trying to get stronger all around. And my arm care in the off season consists a lot of back and legs. I'd say not, not so much arm care, but that's generally what I'm trying to build up as much as possible because that, and my forearms, because that'll help protect your UCL as well. So in the off season, my arm care isn't too strict. It's more so just get my whole body stronger, keep doing bands, throw plyo balls, but that kind of is a buildup process. You don't want to just go straight into throwing plyo balls, but I'll, I'll generally just try and get everything stronger. And then like, like I said, I joined ACE and I think it was December and I started doing all my mobility plyo balls and I did that for a good week or two. And then, like you said, by the building up process, it took a good probably month. I don't think it was till January or February, but around that time we started throwing again and building up to our new max effort because your body changes a lot in the off season. And I'm a big believer that you need to continue throwing uh, pretty regularly. So you don't, cause your body's going to change a lot. And if you don't throw for a while, you're going to throw differently than you did last season. So it's important to continue to stay on top of those mechanics because you don't want to lose what you worked on the last off season or the season uh, during that season. So it's important to keep throwing, but the buildup process is crucial because you don't want to take it too fast, but you don't want to take it too slow either. So Ace really helped me build up. And then as we were nearing season about a month away or two months away, we started doing velo days every Monday where we would pull down every Monday. It was like six balls, max effort, doesn't care where it goes. It's just velo. You're just, all you're caring about is velo. And we did that for, I think it was five weeks. And then after those five weeks, we got our numbers and we said, Hey, we're not going to velo test anymore. Let's, let's, translate this to the mound now so it started turning into mound work and starting to get comfortable comfortable on the mound with your new body your new mechanics everything and as we got closer and closer to season I started getting on the mound about two times a week just to really feel my pitches really feel my body and then as we got to season it it just continued to go but as we go back to arm care the big thing in season is doing bands regularly every day, even if I'm not throwing. Then um, plyo balls. I have a recovery plyo day where, say I have a max intent day or I threw a bullpen the day before, I might just do like reverse throws where you, you pull the green plyo ball or black, depending on what you feel, and you throw it backwards or reverse throw, pivot picks, and upward toss. That'd be like my recovery day. And then I have other days where I'm trying to focus on mechanics and moving, uh, just getting my body moving. And those would have more drills. And then I have my like mound plyos. So if I was going to give tips to anyone about doing arm care, I'd say that you need to establish a routine and you need to follow that routine strictly. So I'd, I'd say start off with doing bands, getting your back warmed up, getting your chest warmed up, and then if you do have a lacrosse ball or a tennis ball or something like that, I'd, I'd do a little bit of soft tissue work before you throw. And then I I like to throw plyos before I long toss, but I also know people that long toss before they throw plyos. 
So that can go interchangeably. And plyos are completely optional. They they some people think they increase velo, which they might, but the general idea of plyo balls is to get your body moving efficiently. You want to move the heavier ball as efficiently as possible, which would ultimately, I guess, help you throw harder. But the plyo balls are optional. Throwing, you want a long toss at least one or two days a week. You don't want to overdo it, but at the same time, you don't want to underdo it. And then every night before bed, um, I stretch everything. I stretch my legs, my upper body. I roll out. I use a massage gun, everything, just to make sure that I don't have any knots anywhere. But that's generally my arm care. And if I do pitch, I try to get my upper body moving somehow. So maybe I do an upper body lift or something like that afterwards just to get the acid out of my body. But arm care is definitely very strict in season. And in the off season, it's more so just get strong. Okay. So staying on the topic of pitching, I know you went and grabbed that baseball before we started recording. So go ahead, take us through what that pitching repertoire looks like. Your best pitch, your best secondary pitch, and then maybe the pitch that might need the most work. You know, what does that pitching repertoire look like? All right. So like everyone, I throw a four seam fastball. Here's my fastball grip. I just hold it on the horseshoe kind of like this. And with this, I like to just throw it early in counts. I like to get ahead, maybe a blow it by someone at the end. But throwing a fastball is crucial, I guess. You kind of have to have a fastball. It's the basic pitch. But then um, I also throw a two-seam fastball where I hold it like this, kind of a little slanted on the seams, but not really anything. And the goal of this one is – to get it to look primarily like a four-seam fastball, but it also have a little bit of tail. So if I'm trying to jam someone inside or break a bat, I guess if it's wood, I'll throw this inside to them, and hopefully it will snap the bat. Or if not, it will be a really tough pitch for them to square up. Then going off of my two-seam, I throw a two-seam circle changeup. So this is these are the two seams. I put my third and fourth finger on it, my pinky is there and my thumb and uh, pointer finger. My thumb and pointer finger are like kind of off to the side of it. And my main goal with this one is to kind of pronate. I like to throw the circle to my target. So if my tar- most of the time I'll throw a change up down. You don't want really to hang it up. So I'll throw my the circle down and in, and that really gets my pronation and gets the ball spinning how I want it to spin and eventually will fall off the table, which is what I want with my changeup. I want it to fall off and also run in where the batter just swings over it. And then this would 100% be my best pitch. It is my outlier pitch. And I actually learned it this offseason from Garrett. So this is my slider. It kind of looks like a two seam, but I put this pointer finger right on the inside of the seam. So it's like running up against it. And then I put this middle finger on the inside of this seam. And with this pitch, I'm I'm really I'm I'm thinking fastball the whole way. The whole way I'm thinking fastball, but then at the end, I think just rip rip down the seams as hard as possible. And it just completely it's a it's a wipeout slider, it's a sweeping slider, and it's 100 percent my best pitch. It it is a little bit harder to locate than a fastball or a changeup, but I tend to get a lot of swing and misses with that. Because it, it just 
it just moves a lot. And honestly, if you have a really good off speed and have a good fastball, you can command with it. It's, it's the best combo that you can have. And then my final pitch, I throw a curveball like this. So this is the horseshoe. Oh, look, that's the horseshoe. I put my uh, middle finger against it, my pointer finger like that. And then I, I think, I think almost like spike it every time because I'm trying to go for more of the 12, six, uh, like 12, six spin, 12, six break, I guess, because I'm, I don't want any of my pitches to break the same way. That's, that's the general idea of a pitcher is you want every pitch to go a different way. You want to make it as hard on the hitter as possible. Um, so like I said, I'll throw my fastball, which will be pretty straight like this. Just throw a fastball, it'll be straight. Then I throw my two seam like this. It will run in a little bit, but not a ton of movement. And about the same speed as my four seam, maybe like one or two miles an hour slower. Then my circle change like this. And the the idea of this is for it to drop off the table and run in a little bit to a righty or run arm side. And then my my slider, which will be my punch out pitch, definitely. Um like I said, I just throw it as I throw it exactly like a fastball, but I do pull off the end, I guess, like really rip on the seams, but I don't change my mechanics. I don't change my arm speed, nothing. Everything is the same. And same with my curveball. Keep everything the same on my curveball. But instead of on my slider, I think fastball, fastball, fastball. And then at the end, I kind of go like this with my curveball. I'm thinking, I'm kind of thinking fastball, but then I go more vertical with my wrist i think more almost when i throw my curveball i kind of lock my wrist in place kind of to keep in this upright position versus if you get over like this you might or like this you might have a different break trajectory but yeah those are my pitches okay so digging into your game's entirety so when you're on the mound when you're in the batter's box when you're in the field base running as well maybe interacting with some teammates what would be that personal scouting report that you would write up on yourself if you were a scout? If I was a scout and I had to write something up against myself, pitching-wise, I would say likes to get ahead early in the count, will will throw fastballs early, but isn't scared to throw off-speed either. And then I'd say primarily, primarily throws fastball, slider, change-up, but will break out the curveball every once in a while. And – if I was a scout for a team saying what to look for against me, I'd say look fastball outside and be aggressive if you get it. Because most of the time, if you get a if you get a pitch in the zone with me, you're probably not going to get another pitch just as, as good as that. So, and that's that's the case with any pitcher is we like to get ahead early, and if we get ahead, we're not, we're not going to give you an opportunity to come back on us. So. That that's definitely my scouting point report would be to be aggressive early and don't wait because if you wait, then it just gives me more opportunities to throw every single one of my pitches where I want to throw it too. And then for base running, I'd say I'd say doesn't isn't a big stealer, but well he'll steal every once in a while. So I'm more of a sneaky, more of a sneaky guy on the base pass. And then for hitting it definitely be attacks early in the count. Um, isn't afraid to swing early at fastballs, any pitch if it's in the zone early. So 
for hitting, I'd say the biggest thing would be attack with multiple pitches and multiple um, different locations. Don't go in the same spot. But yeah, that's what I'd say. Okay. I'm so a, I'm a you, very So, okay. So as you dig into, you know, what you are as a baseball player, let's dig into what you want. So development, what are some of those key things that you're wanting to focus on before you get to Northwestern's campus here in three years? Yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking to just gain weight and continue to get stronger because I feel like if I do both of those things, it will help me in every aspect of my game. But also I'm really looking to work on my speed because I feel like I can definitely get better with my speed. I'm not slow, but I'm not like extremely quick either. So I feel like if I could really get that better and become fast, that will only help my game and allow for me to do even more stuff and be even more beneficial to the team as a whole. But and and also I'd like to continue to work on my mental aspect of the game and continuing to study the game and how the best players in the in the major leagues play it and why they're so good. That that would definitely be what I'm looking to improve upon the most. Okay. All right, man. So I got one last segment here for you. I call it rapid fire, but basically it's just more of the stuff on the personal side of things. So moving beyond the game of baseball, passions. Beyond the game of baseball, what are some of those things you enjoy doing to cope with stress? Maybe take your mind off of something. Let's say you're going through a slump or whatever it happens to be. What are some of those passions, some of those hobbies you have besides baseball? I really like to swim. And not not like swim laps, but going to the pool with friends, throwing around a baseball fo- or a football, throwing around a football, going to the beach, throwing around a football, something like that. That's always super fun. I, I love hanging out with friends and playing in the pool. Or also um, me and my friend built a trail in my backyard that like, connects our houses together. So we'll ride like four wheelers up and down that trail and hang out. That's extremely fun, too. And I also really like to fish. I feel like fishing is really fun. Helps me deal with stress because you're it's just you out there fishing, having fun. But that, in, in the free time, I don't have much of it. But I like to get away from baseball every once in a while. Maybe play video games, something like that, just to take my mind off the game and be a kid every once in a while. Yeah. So on the motivation side of things, what is it that helps you, you know, get out of bed every morning, helps you continuously evolve as a ball player, as a person? You mentioned you're a round tripper three to four hours a day after school. Just where does that motivation come from for you to continuously get better? Just kind of what are those, what are those motivations? Well, before I committed, the motivation was that I wanted to get to the next level and I'm going to do everything that I can to get to the next level. But now my motivation is that I have to be the best person I can be when I walk in those doors at Northwestern and that I'm going to go to Northwestern as my best self. And I'm, I'm looking to play as a freshman. I'm doing, I'm going to do everything in my opportunity to be just as good as those kids that have already been at Northwestern for those three years prior to me being there. And that and also my motivation also comes in with the little kids is that I'm looking to be the person that kids look up to just as like, I look up to uh, like Jake or other people like that. I want to be someone that other kids look up to. 
Okay. So taking that motivation question a little bit further, let's say 20 years down the road, you are that guy that keep people are looking up to. Those little kids are looking up to, you know, Ryan Kastetter with, you know, so-and-so baseball team. Everything's going right for you. What does that perfect picture of your life look like in 20 years? So, you know, 35, 36 years old, what does that perfect picture of your life look like? Well, I would have liked to probably, I would have liked to play at Northwestern and had a real good four years there and hopefully win a Big Ten championship, maybe even the College World Series. You never know. I really would like that to happen. And then I'd like to get drafted and work my way up through those levels of the major leagues and eventually get to that big stage where your name is playing on television every night and people know you as like a household name. That would obviously be the uh, like big accomplishment for me if that happened. But like I said, I, I would, I really want to be a good role model for younger kids because just as I was when I was younger and I looked up to those people and was like, how did they do that? Like, I want to be exactly like them. I want that. That's what I want kids to think of when they think of me. I want them to think of, um, like what I did to get to that next level and how I go about myself. And I really want to be a good person and paint a good picture for myself. Okay. All right. So final two questions here for you. I'll just ask them here at the same time, back to back, go to playlist. Let's say you're making that drive, you know, up. I what I think it's I 65 to get to Chicago or you're, you're, you're taking long, some sort of long drive. What is that go-to playlist? You know, genre singer, however you want to go about it. You know, what is that go-to playlist? Question number two, last question, dream NIL brand. You get the Northwestern, you get that opportunity to capitalize on your name, image, and likeness. What would be that dream brand to endorse, collaborate, partner with, whatever? What would be that dream brand? All right. So first, the pregame playlist, or like my my playlist, I'd say it definitely would have to consist of some pop, hip-hop, maybe even a little bit of rap or country. I feel like... Country kind of, it kind of like relaxes me, but then the hip hop rap and pop kind of gets me fired up at the same time. So I definitely, it would definitely have to have some Post Malone in there, maybe some Future, maybe some Lil Baby, maybe something like that to get me fired up. But then I'd also want to have some country or some, some songs that remind me of my past. I like to listen to songs, not only to get me fired up, but sometimes the message in songs is like kind of reminds me of my past and, or like what I want to be in the future. So that it would definitely have to be post Malone. I like post Malone a lot. I also like future and other rap songs like that. A lot of the popular songs you'll hear on the station, like, or like radio. I like, I'm not really picky when it comes to music, like some people. So I just like to listen to it. It helps me reduce stress and, kind of just be as relaxed as possible. And then my dream NIL deal. Oof. I'd say I'd say probably a big brand like like I don't know, probably Under Armour or Nike, something like that because they have such a variety of uh apparel. They have shoes, shorts, shirts, hats. They have like literally everything. And I'm sure they would make a baseball bat, a baseball glove, something like, I know Nike has a baseball glove. It's pretty cool. I don't think Under Armour does, but I feel like 
if I was to be in an NIL deal with those people, I feel like that would, it would be so cool. That'd yeah. be awesome. And going to Northwestern, I mean, they're an Under Armour school, so you you never know. Maybe maybe somehow three years from the three years down the road, you're getting connected with under those Under Armour reps to become an Under Armour athlete or something like that while you're at Northwestern. Uh, but no, man, you know that's right. the final question here on the JK podcast. You know, really appreciate you coming on the show. I do want to wish you the best of luck as you go through you know, the rest of your freshman spring. Go on and play for my boy Ajay there at Artillery. Go on to Northwestern. Just the rest of your career, man. I do want to wish you the best of luck. And, you know, just thanks for coming on the show, like I said. So, you know. No problem. Thank you. I appreciate you having me out.